going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we are going to start in verse 5 and go to verse 25. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had, had seen a vision in the temple. And for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Well, in baseball, it's three strikes, and it's not always the case. Let's look at Zacharias up to the plate. You know, strike one, days of Herod. The man is living, this man who's living righteously as an Old Testament Jew, as a priest, not perfectly, but blamelessly. There's nothing you could take against him that he hasn't brought his offering to the altar, hasn't confessed his sin, is living a life that is honoring to God and his desire. That's what righteous people were in the Old Testament. They weren't holy and pure by all the actions they did, but they were counted righteous even as Abraham was. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And they still had that lingering need for the Savior to come as we did. But nonetheless, here's a man that's living uprightly when the leadership in the country governmentally 
is the most wicked man that you could imagine. Later, he will seek to kill and kill babies looking for Jesus. That's that Herod. It's hard to do when the government in the country you live in is filled with hypocrisy and ill intentions and self-serving and corruption. But it is not an excuse for any of what God has for you and the way he wants you to live your life. Is this correct? You can speak out. Strike number two. There's an evil priesthood in the higher echelon of the priesthood. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas, Annas is the older, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who's the priest that will be ruling when Jesus is crucified 30 years, 33 years later. He's around. They're both around. Is he in charge? Annas may be. We don't have exact information. But that whole crew of the high level of the pre-stories about that, if you want to read it, it's not only corrupt government, but corrupt within the church, corruption within the leadership, the highest level of leadership. You know, they're the ones that are selling for a profit at the temple courtyards that Jesus will later chase out. That whole thing is their money-making scheme. And so it's even harder to function faithfully when people, other people around you and leaders in churches aren't. But that's no excuse. That's absolutely zero excuse for you and I. It's our calling to walk uprightly. Strike three, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who are personally seeking to follow God wholeheartedly, have no child. And in their culture, not according to God himself, although you can take certain scriptures that talk about the blessing of having children and, 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 and also people being cursed with no children, you could find those verses, but you would be mixing them up to point them at any person who doesn't have a kid. Just like you can mix together any verses to say anything you want it to say. And the people there believed clearly that, oh, there's a curse upon them. You know, remember later on, Elizabeth will say, God has taken away my reproach among the people. Are you with me? She knew that people looked at her as being cursed. And, and so... They didn't have a child, yet Zacharias and Elizabeth were obedient to love the Lord, to love his word, to, to obey the laws they could, and they did not make any excuse for their personal difficulty as a reason not to follow the Lord. I think we could shut it down right here. I don't say this. I don't pick this out so that I get to sound powerful preaching. I think it sounds powerful because it is powerful. But it certainly isn't me. It's powerful because we, this famous saying is, if you get good at making excuses, that's all you'll be good at. I've done it, have you? 
God help us. That's all. I'm just saying, I'm sitting there with you. There's so many excuses for not serving the Lord, not being engaged in the body of Christ. Excuses are readily available. You can, they'll come to you. That just came to me. I was anointed. Yeah. But if you decide, if I decide, if we decide to follow Jesus, he will help us and he will meet us. He'll take us beyond excuses. So God's view of them was a righteous, but they had unfulfilled dreams in their lives, and they had unanswered prayers in their lives. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, decades had gone by. For Israel, this time period breaks the silence. A lot of people would say, would call this, and I think I titled it the same as everybody else, breaking the silence. Because Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last words spoken were, lest I come and bring a curse, is the last sentence of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 talk about, I'm going to send my prophet Elijah, he's going to prepare the way, because otherwise all I'm going to do is come and, and you're going to be under a curse. And that was 400 years ago. Yeah, there's, uh, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That doesn't sound real happy at the end of the Old Testament, does it? So, so we call it the 400 years of silence because there's no written or uh, clearly biblical experience of the Lord speaking that is written down under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's included in the scriptures. The Apocrypha is not part of that in our understanding. It may be in Catholic, but not in ours. There's, there, there's, there's nothing there, but there's not nothing there. It really isn't silent. What happened during that time? Well, all you got to do is read Daniel 7 and 8 and Daniel 10 and 11. Because all of that that's going on in Daniel 7 and 8 and 10 and 11 is the historical told before it happened prophetically by Daniel. The battles between the Persians and the Greeks and the, between the Greeks, uh, the, excuse me, the, the Syrians, uh, the Seleucids they're called in history and the Ptolemies, Ptolemies in the south in Egypt and their clash crashes and that's when Cleopatra and Mark Anthony happened in there, and there's all these, all these dramatic ways that leaders are manipulating, fighting wars, sending their daughters to be married to kings so their daughter can be a spy for them and bring down the other kingdom. And just, you know, and, and Israel is caught in the crosshairs all the time. It's when Hanukkah happens in 130 uh, B.C., uh, the Maccabees, when they rise up against Antiochus Epiphanes, etc., you can read about these things. That's not our purpose here. But um, it's not, certainly not silent. God is always working. And just because you and I can't see him working, that, you know how much, how much that means? Nothing. My inability to see what God's doing has nothing to do with whether he's working or not. It has a lot to do with my eyesight. has a lot to do with you know, spiritual eyesight. has a lot to do with whether God was wanting me to understand right then or not, or to walk by faith and not by sight, which I think the Bible says. So, it's been a long time. 
Now, the opportunity to minister in the temple is very limited for a priest from one of the towns. He's not one of the high priests. He's of a different family. There's 24 different divisions of priests, we're told, at this time through history. David broke them up into groups. And originally, there was 48 cities for the Levites, and then those cities would be priests. And as they grew, I mean, each tribe was hundreds of thousands of people, so there's lots of priests. Not every Levite is a priest, but every priest is a Levite from the tribe of Levi. So there's lots of priests now. They, they went into captivity with Judah because they were in Jerusalem. They, he would even, they even had like a lottery system for them to be able to come in and do their service. Some people believe it was a twice in your lifetime you could go in. Some people say more. To go in and burn incense in the morning, 9 a.m., the morning offering, you know, there's the incense uh, burner there, which represents the what? The prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people of Israel, and it's right up there near the curtain to the holiest of all, but not beyond, the, not inside that curtain. And then that small area that the temple was, the actual temple, was very small. And they would go in and they would trim the the the, the mat, and another one would do the incense burning and they would be alone at that moment they would they say they had two priests to assist them and then they'd leave and then they'd go in and just one man at a time in there and ma- making sure that they added the material for the burning of the incense and then the evening at three o'clock they would do to make sure they beat the sunset and the people would gather outside and pray at the morning and evening incense offering. And that's all uh, the incense offerings in Exodus and Leviticus. So you can read about all that. And so Psalm 141, verse 2, we have that too. Let my... <laughs> I'm counting on you. Sorry, unfair. I'll actually turn to it, but I didn't have it. Uh, okay. No, that's not it. Psalm 141, too. It's, and by the way, don't blame those guys because I could have put my scriptures totally different than the way I... Uh, have you ever written anything out and then when you went to say it, it was a little different? You know? Was it even the same subject? Yeah. <laughs> so it was, let, 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 my, let my... I'll just, I don't want to blow it. Let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Let my hands as the evening sacrifice. There's your psalm for the day. And before the veil where that altar of incense is, outside a nation prays and waits. What is, what are the people outside praying for? Well, if somebody has a really sick kid, they're probably praying for their sick kid. If somebody needs shekels, they're short on their rent, they're praying for money. If somebody has a struggle with their mother-in-law or their father-in-law, their daughter-in-law, their son in God, get them. <laughs> or whatever, they're praying whatever it is they're praying. Sure, people are praying for their personal needs, but folks... Hands down, the number one prayer as the people gather outside of that courtyard as the, as the priest is in the temple offering incense, the prayer of the nation of Israel 
while Romans are stomping through their streets in their armor with their their, their swords and their um, uh, <laughs> spears and their shields and their helmets and, and their horses tromping through and pushing people out of the way and and their history of oppression and challenge and failure, they are praying for God, please send us the Messiah. That's what they're praying. That's what they prayed every day. Remember from Fiddler on the Roof when there was they were getting kicked out? And even these the guys who wrote Fiddler on the Roof are not religious Jews. But they understood Judaism as it's practiced in that time. And they understood this. They had model the tailor, say, Rabbi, they're being told they have to leave to go away from their homes and, and just be chased out. Rabbi, all our lives we've been waiting for the Messiah to come. Wouldn't this be a good time for him to come? And the rabbi says, we just have to wait for him somewhere else which was poetic and beautiful and actually true. It's not the whole story, but it is part of the story. That wherever you find yourself as a Jew, you were to be waiting for the Messiah. And how much is that true for us as a Christian? Wherever you find yourself waiting for the Messiah to come. We're waiting for, of course, the second coming. And, and it, we long to see the Jews understand that. Zechariah's personal prayer was given up long ago. You can see that, yeah? He didn't go, praise God, I, was, I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I knew, hallelujah, I knew I was going to get that answered prayer. That's not his response. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm an old man now, and so is my wife. And, uh, and you know, his personal prayer had been given up long ago, but, but it was not forgotten by God. And God answered him in troubles. And in troubles that we seek to go away, God is answering us something we prayed earlier in trouble. So we've got to be patient. And the angel tells him, he goes, listen, uh, I'm Gabriel. I, I, who do you, where do you think I got this message to bring to you? I, I come from the throne room. You know, I'm, I'm bringing you the message from God. And, and, and you know, but, it's, but he talks. Hey, hi, Zacharias. Hey, your prayer's been answered, and you're going to have a son, and then he's going to for, be the forerunner for the Messiah, and he's coming. And it's like 400 years didn't even happen. For Gabriel, it's like two minutes ago, we finished the Old Testament, and here he is because there's no time with God. You know, Zacharias doesn't have that luxury in his mind. It's as if no time had passed, and his up is a picture. His son's name will be called John Yochanan, in Hebrew, God is gracious, and his timing is perfect. According to who is God's timing perfect? Not to every human, maybe not to you. According to God, his timing is perfect. He invented time. There, time is an invention, a creation of God. <laughs> it's just like, I can't fathom that but I know that's true. He's outside of time because time, so as if no time passes. 
And then the angel says to him, Gabriel says, he's going to turn the hearts of the children of the fathers, fathers to the children, just like we read in Malachi 4 and 5, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And so the curse is broken. The failure of a nation is broken. Roman oppression is really going to be broken ultimately, ultimately. The priestly corruption is going to be broken because the Messiah is coming. None of that was going to be broken uh, other than Elizabeth's personal curse, if you want to call it a curse, of no children right away. But it was all going to be done in God's timing. And so the people outside are praying, and their prayers, both their prayers and Zacharias's personal prayer, are answered in one event if you will, this message and this meeting with the angel. By the way, the last time we saw Gabriel, the last time you hear his name, Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, where he begins to tell Daniel about the coming of the Messiah and the timing of the coming of the Messiah. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 20. Daniel. It's just so... So, for those of you who are newer... um, so pastors and teachers and people who go through the Bible, if they're really in the Scriptures, usually almost every week they tell you about some prophecy fulfilled, how it fits together from a long Old Testament. And skeptics and, and, and uh, cynics say, well, that's just men putting this together. We're talking about hundreds of prophecies, and we're talking about a great length of time that it took to write the whole Bible and all these different books, people who never met each other people who never met each other. People who didn't get together in a room and say, how are we going to work this scheme out to make everything fit together like a movie? This isn't how this happened. It's miraculous. It's why we get excited. Some of us here get very excited because when you go, you know, God knew what he was doing and he let people know little pieces of it so that they could put together the whole picture so that you and I could be so blessed and so confident in the Word of God. And so, um, Zacharias' personal prayer and the prayer of the nation for the Messiah are intertwined. And I would submit to you that that's how it really is with all of us in our prayers, is that Zacharias gave up his personal dreams, but he didn't give up the bigger dream, the messianic dream, And our tendency by nature is to view the Bible through and view spiritual things through a telescope. Very limited, I can see you. Travis, I see you right there. But I have to move it over there. I see Kim and Ray. Okay, oh, there's Skip back there. You know, I could do more of that. It's kind of, you know, really fun. You should try it sometime. We look at life through a telescope. It's all what's coming my way, what's not happening right here, what is happening right here. It's just our natural way. You're not alone. You struggle with this. It's a problem sometimes. You're trying to figure out how do you not do that. We're all there in some way. But the thing is, is that whatever you're going through personally, whatever you're praying personally, God has a purpose for you, as Kim shared with us. And that picture of the gospel being shared through your life, through your ups and downs, it, it, it's, it's, we don't want to be the people who say, either the Bible has to help me right now with my personal life and change things, or it's useless to me. 
please hear me. You may say, I would never do that, Rick. Well, you have people around you who do that. And you could be tempted to do that. And some of you might say, ouch, you're getting close to home. I have done that. I'm getting past it, but I've done it. Either the Bible has to meet my need that I see, that I want God to show me right now, and do for me right now, or it's useless to me. There's a lot of people walking around right now that have stopped. They struck out at number one or two, certainly at number three. Said, I'm out of here. Perhaps that's a little bit self-centered. God does care about my personal, I believe God cares about Rick's personal life. I don't have a question about that. He knows the hairs on my head. That's much easier today than it used to be. But he knows the hairs on my head, and he knows the hairs on your head. Uh, But his goal, he's the only person who knows the hairs on your head. He's the only person that knows you thoroughly. You have people who think they know you thoroughly, and it irritates you when they say they act like they know you thoroughly. Because there's some little part they're missing right then, and you're like, hey, you don't really know me like you think you do. God does. 100%. And his goal is to bring also not only to come to my immediate need and my care, and he does, but he's also working to bring my life, in my life, your life, into the big picture. Think about it. Personal desires being met do not necessarily bring fulfillment. And we have a testimony of famous people who dreamed of being the rich and the famous who got everything they wanted. And did they find peace and fulfillment? No. We hear stories almost daily of people whose lives turned out tragically who got everything they wanted. You, some of you may remember me telling you that song, Old Town, with political connections to spread his wealth around. Born into society, a banker's only child. He had everything a man could want, power, grace, and style. But I work in his factory. And I curse the life I'm living. And I curse my poverty. And I wish that I could be, I wish that I could be, oh, I wish that I could be Richard Corey. And the song goes on, Paul Simon, two more verses talking about the, es- the escapades of Richard Corey. But so you must know my consternation when the evening paper read, Richard Corey went home last night and put a bullet in his head. That is a made-up story. But it's not a made-up story. There's a memories in this world. That's why the psalm that you put up, please put that up again. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. <laughs> when we read that, the idea was that God wants to purify our hearts so that they agree with his purpose for our life, so that he can give us the greatest possible blessing. And listen, your flesh, your human nature does not believe this. Your human nature doesn't buy this. Your human nature rebels against every part of this. 
And that is why when people try to, if you spend too much energy through physical means and gifts and promises and cool events that will just be tailored to fit them, you only, unless the Holy Spirit works and it goes beyond that, you're just reaching their fleshly soul. And you're just, and, and people can sit in church for years and be entertained. You can tell that we're not here to entertain you. We may not be doing our job as well as we could that we are supposed to do. Really, teach you the word clearly, love, all the things that we want to do well. We may not be doing them that well. But the thing we're not doing is we're not trying to entertain you. If you're here to be entertained, you will. we are really lame at entertaining. You know, you need to go where you can be entertained. If you have to have an upbeat service every time and be tickled and hear something you've never heard before, well, you're in the wrong place. If you need your human nature puffed up and people to tell you how great you are, you need to find a place where that's what it's all about. You need to go follow the, the footsteps of people like Richard Corey. It doesn't really do what you think it's going to do. We don't even understand our real need. And our job with each other, oh, I don't mean our job, you. I mean all of us with each and know how to get, grab a hold of their spiritual need. And with your children, that should be number one. It doesn't mean you don't do the physical ex- prowess and learning to do sports and learning to do intellect in school. You do all that. But your purpose and everything has to be clear for you in order for it to be clear to other people. And the way you make decisions then, well, anyway, I'm gone to preach it. So the angel, Zacharias, the angel Gabriel comes to Zacharias and says, listen, you're going to be mute because you wouldn't believe uh, what was told to you. And so that's the price of unbelief for a season for, for Zacharias is he will not enjoy or share the blessing clearly. You know, it kind of speaks to the fact that if you can't hear good news, you can't speak good news. If you can't really hear the good news, if you're not really taking it in and letting it be, do its work in you, you're not going to be able to speak it. Now, this was a real thing. I mean, he, this is a physical thing. He was mute. He couldn't talk. And, you know, the other side of it is God gives him the sign that he seems to think he needs. <laughs> You know, he believes what he sees, but he doesn't believe what he hears. I just felt so strongly when I read this. Zacharias believes what he sees. I know I'm talking to an angel. You could see it. But he doesn't believe what he hears. He knows he's having a conversation. What does unbelief do to a logical mind? It makes it illogical. If you believe in God, the creator of the universe, of everything, is it logical to say that circumstances are too big for him? If you believe God is real and he created the universe, is it logical to say, yeah, but this circumstance is too big for God? The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, Zachariah had a spiritual history of faith. He had Abraham and Sarah to call upon in their history but, you know, Gabriel doesn't argue with them. I'm Gabriel. Where did you think I get the message? And so on the positive side, he thought he needed a sign in order to believe, and he got one. 
Now, normally, he would come out and stand before the people after offering the incense in number 6, verses 24 through 26. He would come out, and the priest would lift his hands and speak, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the people would respond, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. But he could not fulfill that. He had to pantomime. It all works out for Zacharias. He will speak praise fluently to God later. Zacharias' silence may exhibit. Also, what we already talked about earlier is that even when God appears to be silent, he's very much at work. And Elizabeth is able to say, the Lord took away my reproach from among the people. And my friends, our day is also coming, 100%. Our day is coming. We talk about it at prayer meeting on Monday nights. Kim refers to it often. I refer to it. Others do too. That big bowl of incense, the prayers of the saints that we keep feeding into. And sometimes we go, Lord, we can't. We don't have time to mention every person or need, but you know that we're putting it all there before you into that incense. You know, when they burn incense, the smoke rises can cut right through the cracks and the holes and come out the ceiling and rises up to heaven. And it's a picture of our prayers rising to God. And those prayers of the saints, Revelation 5.8 says, And the 24 elders came forth. Man, at the end of all things, as the Lord is beginning to pour out, he's preparing to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world and to save Israel in the final analysis. In chapter 5, while he's still in the middle of greeting the saints or elders came forth with their little golden bowls full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, and they offered them before the throne of God. All your prayers getting offered before the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 7, and then later on, and it also talks about those bowls being poured out upon the earth where the wrath of God is. And you might say, I'm not asking you to be wrathful at anybody. Are you asking God to do the right thing? Do you want God to do what's needed for you and the rest of this earth to be brought? Are you asking God to accomplish his work fully and finally? I mean, if your prayer, you might not notice it, but if you're, you can't pray a prayer and expect it to be answered, God, I really like my life here, and I just want everybody I know to be saved and life just to go on forever right here on earth just the way it is, and I just don't even grow old. What if you're already old and you just start praying that prayer? Make me younger. Like, In other words, if you're going to talk to the living God who created all things, who has a plan that he's revealed to mankind, though people say they can't see it and it's unclear, you know it is. You don't understand everything. You and I do not understand everything. Because you do not understand everything does not mean, are you listening? Does not mean you don't understand anything. Do not hide behind what you don't understand. 
I, uh, this comes from counseling people for the centuries. <laughs> I'm an old man. Say, but I was confused, but I'm confused. I'm confused about this. I'm confused about that. I'm confused about that. I'm confused about that. I don't get what. How do those lights turn on? <laughs> and, all this, and, and then there's the thing that is not confusing at all. Yet hiding behind the things we're confused about. This is not helpful to a personal life. Don't hide behind confusion. I admit there's things that confuse me. I'm very much easily one of those people. I can't. I always take a step back and go, okay, what am I not confused about? And it makes a huge difference in how I begin to deal with the next step. So you can't ask the God who already told you what is needed and pray to him and then try to manipulate him uh, to get what you want but nothing else, the only way your prayers can be answered is for God to accomplish his full will in the Messiah and the return of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of your life is going to be bound up in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. History, H-I-S-S-T-O-R-Y, his story, his separate, his story at an S, history, And his story is your story. Your life is bound up in Jesus. Your curses are broken in Jesus. Your frustrations will be met and healed by Jesus. And it won't all come in your timing the way you want so that you can feel it and see it all right here and now. But you have a promise from God who has fulfilled his promises through history. And the onus is not on God to make sure you feel good about it and are comfortable with it. The onus is on you and I to get in line with what he said about my life. I don't say this angrily. I say this because there are too many voices talking about meism and how to have personal fulfillment. And all your kids at school are getting taught personal fulfillment. How's that working? It doesn't. They can't fulfill their own dreams on their own. But you have a Savior who loves you, and you can trust him and his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Zacharias could believe what he saw, but he couldn't believe what he heard. But that's where faith comes in. Are you hearing the word of God? Because God is going to pour out those bowls of wrath on the earth, and he's going to pour out the bowls of prayers, and it doesn't mean I'm looking for him to judge any person. I want to see as many saved as possible, and God does too. He wants it more than I do. He says that. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But, and then we're done. But, in order for one thing to happen, the other thing needs to happen too. In order for a righteous, holy, new creation of heaven and earth to exist and for us to live in it and have every tear wiped away, every wound completely healed, every sin washed away, and every every circumstance made right in any one of our lives and in all of our lives, God has to deal with the fulfillment of his plan for all mankind. And the righteous, holy God who who lovingly and kindly, graciously 
reaches us, is reaching out to others, but he will judge this earth, and it's necessary. And what that should do is make you and I humble. Humble before him. The God who actually has the power, the authority, the will, and the love to actually righteously judge this world. So, on that note, Merry Christmas. Let's stand. <laughs> Lord, I, I, I do believe that we're all influenced by what we see around us in the world. And I'm not sure that I don't get influenced in some ways unhealthily by what goes on so that my responses are not what you'd have. I know every one of us in this room is affected by what we see and hear. You told us to take heed how we hear. What measure we give to something is the measure that we're going to get back. We don't want to give ourselves to anger and bitterness. We don't want to give ourselves to selfishness and isolation and just uh, shutting everything off. We want to give ourselves to you. You gave yourself to us. Oh, Lord, would you help us that we would give ourselves to you. That the fear of what you might do if we were totally given over to you that you would wash that out of our lives. You would purge that. I don't think it just washes. It gets burnt out, washed out, pulled out. <laughs> I don't know, Lord. Can we say today, I can give my life completely to you, Jesus, and know that you have my best interest at heart. I don't think everyone in this room, everyone listening, senses in their own self that they can say that. I pray that the circumstances and the molding that has caused some of us, perhaps all of us, to not believe that we can fully trust you, that you would work in those areas of our lives. So in one sense, Lord, uh, we don't want you to take things that don't belong in our life, that don't belong in our minds or our spirits, our hearts. Take those things from us, Lord, that hinder us, from seeing you, from hearing you, and from giving you glory and praise. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take what you can.